Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Here now is the Jupiter 2, the culmination of nearly 40 years of intensive research and the most sophisticated piece of hardware yet devised by the mind of man. Bold in concept, brilliant in execution, this most delicate yet most colossal of instruments makes possible Woolman's thrust into deep space and will soon set out on its quest for a new world, Venus. This super spaceship stands nine feet long and two stories high with an extra octave on the low end. The lower level contains a fantastic sophisticated guidance control system. An electronic elevator connects this level to an upper deck live performance lounge, a first for an intergalactic vehicle. The upper and lower levels are operationally self-contained. Here, on the lower deck, pulsating with unbelievable force, are the great atomic motors that will power the ship to new worlds. Spectacular but functional living quarters, including staterooms, galley, and the universe's largest greenhouse complete this level. At the helm, our captain, Professor John Efrenson, and his wife, Madame Nadine Davidson. There is one additional member of this expedition, an industry-controlled robot, the Jewel, also known as the just-efficient woman at entry level. This Jupiter II's historic flight to the top of the charts, preceded by nearly four decades of intensive research and preparation, has been shrouded by the most rigorous security precautions. Other female-piloted spaceships, in an even more desperate need for airplay on our critically crowded radio waves, are racing the Jupiter II in this project. Musicians that would go to any lengths of sabotage to say yay their soul when it comes to the flowers now. This is Alpha Control. Zero minus one hour and 15 minutes and still holding. Calling Frangipani 14 Umbra. Frangipani 14 Umbra. Reporting. Mission must be abandoned. The jewel has somehow been reprogrammed. Her power has been activated. The robot will destroy the spaceship with all hands aboard. Repeat. The robot will destroy the spaceship with small hands on board. This is Alpha Control. You must make a crash landing. The rockets are malfunctioning. This Kachina is too hot. The clouds are descending. We're starting to hit heavy atmosphere. If I don't slow us down, we'll burn. Help me fire the braking rockets. Push those buttons as I call them out. Metal, water, wood. Nothing. Damn it. Super, Nova, juice. She's not breaking. Fire three, four, all of them. Dreams last so long, even after you're gone. The jewel has done something to the controls. No time, let go your mind, your intuition. Go to Luna Riviera and make sure everyone is strapped in. It's gonna be a rough one. What about you? I'll stay with the controls as long as I can. Then I'll ride the landing out in one of the freezing tubes. Go on. I'm being electromagnetic, please come back. Can you buy locate? Try infrared. Zero point, your time is coming. It will find its way in time. Who will save yourself?
Nadine. John? Nadine? John? Nadine? I can't see you. I'm right here. Right here? I'm under all this space rubble. Oh, there you are. Here, uh. let me clear the path. That was a lot of rubble, Nadine. Are you okay? I think I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. Oh, what happened? I don't know, but I think there might be something wrong with my vision. Everything seems very, very purple. Are you seeing this? Is that normal? Everything is purple. Whoa. Oh it is the most God. lovely shade of lavender I ever did see. Mm-hmm. It sure is prevalent. It really is. It looks almost photoshopped. Oh. What happened? Where are we? I don't know. It doesn't look like Earth, though. I'll tell you that. This must be Venus. The last thing I remember, the jewel had sabotaged us and we were sent in for a crash landing. I knew she couldn't be trusted. Oh, look at her right there. I, I, I ever put wet towels on the floor anymore. Metal, metal, metal. <laughs> ah, let go your mind, your intuition. Look at all those pieces of you, Jewel. The Jewel. The Jewel. Well, it doesn't look good, but I suggest we attempt to resurrect the Jupiter too and get moving back to Earth. Can we just, like, take stock for a second? Really? You want to get right to work? Okay. What is there to see? I feel like it just ended a very, very long journey, and now you want to start another one? I don't know what you're talking about. We just quantum leaped into these bodies. Mm -hmm. This body of a purple person, you mean? What would you like to see, Nadine? What is there here for you? There's no gift shops. I don't see any gift shops. Oh, what? Because I like to shop? Because I'm a woman? Yeah, I said it. I demand only the finest things from Bergdorf Goodman's. You'll find them on Barney's fourth floor. Mmm. I do hope there's a gift shop. I'd love a bumper sticker or a nice license plate frame. I'd rather be orbiting. That would be nice. We could take one home for Mama. Mm-hmm. Are you going to help me here with this uh, spaceship? I'm maybe? sorry. I'm fine. Yes, I'm here. What can I do? How can I help? Hand me the wrench. Here you go. The other wrench. Mm, I love being like a mechanical sous chef. <laughs> Needle nose, please. Needle, what did you call me? Hammer. Well, I think I fixed it. Let's start her up. Well, it's not starting. Shocking. What are we gonna do, Nadine? I don't know, I feel like our absorption lines have been frayed. How are we gonna patch this? We're out of fuel. Is that what it is? Always check the vital fluids. I wonder if they sell unleaded here. Do you mm. see any? Oh my God, it's gonna be so expensive. Who, wait, who, who's that? <gasps> Look, Nadine, it's a real life illusion. Oh my God, take a picture. I can't wait to get this developed and in mere hours. She is gorgeous. Gorgeous and squat? I mean, look at that beautiful eye. That long lash? Uh-huh. Ooh, hello there. Hi. I'm Professor John Efrenson. Hand on my hip. I'm Nadine Davidson. Greetings from Earth. What is she? Did you catch what she said? I don't want to be rude, but she's kind of a mumbler. Luckily, I brought along with us my E-Mate 300, which comes with a Venusian to English translator. Let me just fire it up here. 
That was pre-installed? Pre-installed? All right. What did you say? Oh. In order to fix our spaceship, we must collect the right amount of rocket fuel. Great. Can you point us in the direction of the fuel station? Look in the direction with your one giant eye of the nearest fuel station. She said, unfortunately, the only fuel to be found on all of Venus is over Silbury Hill through the solar field? She says, we must make our way through 1,000... A thousand oceans until we sail ourselves home. She says along the way we will encounter signs in Russell Square font mm. that will guide us to Silbury Hill. Mm. Frankly, this seems like an absurd premise. What were you expecting? I was expecting to have a fine journey in a spaceship. I wasn't expecting a crash land on Venus. All right, well, when life gives you lemons, squeeze them. It sounds vaguely erotic, Nadine. <laughs> so it's neither the time nor the place. It really isn't. But how will I be able to read Russell Square font? I guess I could stop yelling at her. <laughs> I think we'd all appreciate that. She says, use our Emate 300 to scan the signs and read the fonts. I don't know, sounds fishy, Nadine. I think we'll be fine. I've spent a lot of time on the beach with a metal detector, so I know how to scan for things. That's basically what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. For anyone who might be listening in, that's the scenario that we're attempting you to visualize. <laughs> Remember that time I found 25 bucks in a cracker? What a day. What, what, where are you going? She's floating away. Get her to stop. She's floating away. I don't have enough information. Ma'am, 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 ma'am. I mean, that could be anybody. Apparently everyone on Venus is female. The future is female and so is Venus. She's gone, Nadine. You think you could have used your feminine wherewithal to keep her talking? I'm sorry, that is not a renewable resource. I have to parse it out as I see fit. So in summation, just so that we are clear, here we are shipwrecked on Venus. In order to get fuel for our spaceship, we must travel to Silbury Hill, but in order to find Silbury Hill, we have to read these signs in Russell Square font with our Emate 3000. I am just making sure we are up to speed. God, this is a tragedy. Uh, a real space tragedy. All right, once we get some momentum going, I'm sure it'll get easier. We just need to build up a real head of steam. I guess we'll go walking, I guess. It feels vaguely familiar. Mm. You feel like we've walked in circles uselessly before? I feel. Do you feel? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But you know what feels new, though? What? This feeling of weightlessness. I like space. Space looks good on me. This atmosphere. This atmosphere looks great on you. Oh my god, it's so thin. This atmosphere is doing amazing things for your figure, Nadine. Mm. <gasps> what is that? What the hell is that? It looks like words written on a crater of some kind. Crater rock. A moon rock. Do you always gasp in fear when you see words? Yes, I do. <laughs> but only when they're written in this strange and pointy font. This must be Russell Square. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and read it? According to the Emate 300, it's from the Wall of Sound. See, we, we, we need the Emate 300. You have to scan it with the Emate 300. Mm. 
See? Do you think it hurts if you hit the wall of sound, if you're traveling at the speed of sound? Oh, no, it probably feels exactly right. Okay, well, I'll be the judge of that. From Wall of Sound, 17th November, 1998. There will be nine or ten years of material represented in one kind or another. Some of the things I'm thinking about aren't flushed out enough yet, so we'll have to work with them a little. But I really wanted to take a break from having new work, my writing, put under the microscope one more time. That can be exhausting. It says here, Amos is also considering taking a break from recording original material because after bringing her music to a full band for the first time on the new album and the current tour, she feels she's at something of a crossroads as an artist and songwriter. I don't really know where I'm going right now, she admits. That's why I'm not acting on anything. Playing live and capturing the live performances is where I have always integrated the records. Then what's next? As an intuitive and poetic performer, Amos is quite insightful and cautious about her work and wants to make sure the next step feels comfortable to her as an artist. After I make a record, it takes me a while to make it a part of my own body map. Sometimes I'm so detached from it after touring, even though a thread of me is in it, that it takes me a while to pull back and find out what it's about again, to make it meaningful. It's important to find out what these songs are trying to tell me, not just about my own experience, but about a more universal experience. A lot of times you're translating your own songs and saying, okay, I know this sounds right, but I haven't really quite experienced this or I haven't seen that yet. So sometimes I have to step back. That's why I'm thinking about this live and B-Sides project, to give myself a little time to step back. I just have one question. Yes? Who is Amos? I don't know. Well, if I had to make a guess, Nadine, I would posit that this Amos must be a god on this planet. And if I had to make another guess, it would seem to me that this project took a pivot at some point. If it was originally slated to be a B-Sides and live collection as of November 17th, 1998, but I guess it didn't become that. Yeah, and also I'd like to point out that I like her style. Should we take a page from her book? If we don't know where we're going, should we just sit down? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Not move? I don't Please. know. I don't know what's happening. I would like to sit on the wall of sound. <laughs> I feel like it's that thing where they say if you get lost, just stand still. Because if people are walking around looking for you, you're both just moving around each other. So maybe we should just plant our feet here. You know, that happened to me once in my apartment back on Earth. You got lost <laughs> in your own apartment? No, I went down the elevator to get my friend. And while I was in the elevator, someone walked into the building and he walked in after them and came up the elevator. So when I went downstairs, I was like, where are you? And he's like, I'm in front of your door. So then I had to go back up and he was just standing in front of my locked door. Wonderful. It's like Scooby-Doo, just in and out of doors, running down hallways, chasing each other. Very farcical. Mm -hmm. Oh, Nadine, look at that. That moon crater rock sign has now transformed into an arrow. Well, that's deep wisdom, and it's telling us to go this way. Put it into the Emate 300 and see if it... Collates? Yeah, see if it collates. Mm-hmm, check the wooters. Nadine, is it doing anything? I think so. Got a little hum. I hear a little something. Oh, 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 ooh, Nadine. Hmm. We're gliding. We're gliding right to another sign. Oh, this must be how it works here. Written on some atmospheric debris. It wasn't a rock. Scanning this atmospheric debris with my trusty Emate 300, I can see it says from Atlantic Press Release, June 20th, 1999. I had originally thought we were tracking stuff for the B-Sides album, and all of these songs kept coming. The writing gods decided to stop by, and you try to be there when the muse decides she wants to hang around with you. It became quite exciting because we had no idea we were cutting a new record. It just grabbed me by the throat, really. We ended up working around the clock and putting it together pretty quickly. What do you do to serve the writing gods when they stop by your house? 
You put out like a charcuterie board? Oh, please, yes. Wine, red, white, and rosé. So this Amos had a band, presumably, in her studio to what? Cut some one or two new tracks? And then she hits them and she's like, guess what, boys? She woke up on a Wednesday. We're cutting a whole new album. Gear up. Yeah, I think that the songs just kept coming. I feel like probably the new song she was talking about recording, like the few new songs or whatever, it was like the new version of Sugar and Purple People were meant to be on the B-Sides album, probably, maybe. But when she created a whole new track list, like they no longer fit, so she had to move them to the live record somehow, right? Why Purple People? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I really don't know why Purple People, because she had just released Purple People on the single before, and it was a great version. It's not that different. Right? Sugar's different. Sugar's very different, yes. It's basically a different song. But I don't know why Purple People. And she'd always intended to redo Sugar. She'd been talking about Uh that since Under the Pink. So maybe she thought this was finally Sugar's moment to be presented and have more of the spotlight. I just wish she would have added some crowd noise, like fake us out, you know? Yeah, it is very strange to seg back in from solo time on Venus and then have, yeah, silence. Oh, we're picking up steam now, Nadine. Quotes are just coming in. Why did you read this from Billboard magazine, July 17th, 1999? For her upcoming and unexpected studio album to Venus and Back, Amos says that she found herself confronted with a free flow of inspiration and decided to run with it. I'd originally thought we were tracking stuff for the B-Sides album, and all of these songs kept coming, she says. Fans and proponents of the artist have long held her live gigs to be the benchmark of Amos's full creative sense of expression, particularly given her signature rhythm and writhe performance style, which must be seen to be fully appreciated. The show that we did was about an hour and 40 minutes every night. We're trying to get the people that have come to the show a semblance of what they saw, Amos says of the album. Though she acknowledges that it's a tough task picking which performances best fit the project. I hope to get 11 or 12 songs on the album, but Waitress is nine and a half minutes long and Precious is seven minutes long. We'll have to see which ones make the semifinals. No one event shaped this record, she says of the full body of the project. I sort of just let my observations take over. I realize that as a songwriter, you're not always going to have those moments where you're flying over Afghanistan and seeing fires and being told it's a war. You have to keep taking adventures and exposing yourself. But there are things in daily living that hide behind everybody's heart, and that's always fascinated me. Instrumental sounds are even more experimental than with previous efforts, bordering on industrial in some cases, alongside the traditional mass of sometimes joyous, often deliberately chaotic vocal layers that define Amos. That stamp is all the stronger with her behind the boards as producer of the project. Being my own producer, no one can buy me to turn on my artist, she says wryly. I also understand how they work with budgets, so I realize how not to get ripped off that way. Amos contends that making a record is very much a group effort that, for her, is not a single-minded mode of thinking. It's not like I don't have a team of musicians and engineers around me that I respect. When one of them has a suggestion, I will literally change my shoes and let the artist leave the room. There's the one side who writes song and spills her guts out, then she leaves and we have to make it good on the other side. Do you think she really means that? I know she says literally, but people misuse literally all the time. People literally misuse that word all the time. I think she does mean that, and here's why. Because you know she likes to play in heels. So she probably doesn't like to just stand around in the control room in heels, so she probably literally takes off her shoes and puts on like a pair of slip-on flats or something. What kind of shoes do you think the performer, singer-songwriter wears, and what kind of shoes does the producer wear? Louboutins for the performer. Uh Uh-huh. Flip-flops for the producer. Wonderful. Yeah. Literally. What kind of shoes do you think they wear? That sounds good. I don't know about flip-flops. I was thinking more of a boot. 
Why would you take off heels to put on a boot? Why would you take off your heels at all? Because you don't want to stand around for 12 hours in the control room in heels. But they're comfortable boots. What kind of boots? Uggs? Space boots. Oh, good call. I'll have to defer to your womanly sense of fashion on this one, Nadine. Oh, oh, oh. Here we are. Another sign. Why don't you read this from the Baltimore Sun on August 26, 1999? Mm, I love the sun. Center of the solar system. Yep, there it is right there. After finishing a 120-day tour with her band last year, singer-pianist Tori Amos had planned to spend the spring hunkered down in Cornwall, England, to work on her fifth album. The idea was to release a double CD, but even so, Amos and her crew weren't expecting to do a lot of recording as one disc would be all live material, while the other mixed B-sides with a couple of new tunes. Then the songs started coming, and coming and coming. Before she knew it, Amos had an album's worth of new songs on her hands. It really did sneak up on me. It just demanded to be born. It, in this case, is to Venus and Back, which is now seen as a brand new studio album augmented by a second disc of live recordings. Amos is glad to be out on the road of playing with her band. We just really enjoy playing. We miss playing with each other. We'd record it together, but recording is different. Recording is about being in the trenches. It may seem as if Amos is being a bit overdramatic, but making the eclectic and adventurous to Venus and Back really was something of a struggle. Not only did she have to deal with the normal give and take of recording with a band, somebody's got to be at the helm and everybody's got an opinion, she says laughing, but she was faced with an immovable deadline in the form of the Morissette Tour. We had to hit our date, she says. The tour wasn't going to change, and I couldn't just say, oh, give me a couple more weeks. In doing two albums in that amount of time, I was taking on more than I had any idea I was taking on. I mean, I knew it was going to be constant grind, but there were no days off. There were no breaks. There was nothing. I love it. I love working at that mad pace. I feel like when you are working for 20, 30, 40 hours on something consistently with just like a few naps here and there, you get to a really like subconscious area of creativity. Yeah. I do believe that. I know you love to make things as difficult and arduous as possible. Really? Tori's with you on that. <laughs> That's why we get along. Oh, yeah. What do you make of the fact that it seems like she never envisioned doing a double live album, which is kind of a shame. No, I was just thinking that as you were reading that, why did she not just make two? Because I can't think of an I cannot think of another album that is a double disc that is one disc of new material and one disc of live material. Yeah, I can't name another artist who's done it. I can't name another album. So why didn't she just release to Venus and Back and save the live material for a double live album? Like Living in Clip by Ani DeFranco had come out that year or like a year before or something. Why didn't she do something like that? Agreed. We'd been clamoring for official live tracks. We were chomping at the bit for a complete live album. And she's like, okay, fine. But 12, 13 songs. It's like, come on, give us two discs. Come on. Sorry. We're always hungry for more. Give me more. Would you have been satisfied with that, though? I mean, if To Venus and Back had come out with just 11 songs without the, like, supplemental disc, would you have been happy? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I would have been. A totally brand new, unexpected album, like a year after Choir Girl, more or less? Totally. Yeah. I mean, we still got it. Yeah, and it's great. I love Venus. Can I tell you a secret? I mean, how secret, Nadine? I just felt the need to make it clear from the jump that I would rank Venus above Choir Girl. That is all. Excuse me? You heard me. In what categories? In category Tori Amos albums that I like the best. <laughs> okay, really? Uh-huh. Okay, what's your top album that you like the best? Under the Pink. Second? Boys for Bailey. Third? Little Earthquakes. Fourth? This is controversial. I might put Native Invader there. 
I really like it. If not Native Invader, then Venus. Oh. And then Choir Girl. What do you have against Choir Girl? Nothing. I just find that I go to Venus more, and I actually think it's more, even though they put it together really quickly, it feels really polished and dense, and I just love it as a world. Space has changed you. In the two years we spent in Torador, you never once told me you hated Choir Girl. Well, I didn't want you to reject me, so I thought I'd keep it under my tube, as you say. Well, I only say that because Karen Walker says it. Yeah, good a reason as any. I love Venus, too. I might rank Venus above Choir Girl, too. Honestly, I think Venus is, I think it's just, like, dangerous and sexy. I love it. So you would also potentially rank Venus above Choir Girl? Really? It's difficult with those two records specifically because they're both so different yet so similar. So the idea would be to compare them because they both have the band element, but they sound sonically so different. Like she's definitely taking a step forward on Venus, like a step in a different direction, a step towards another direction, not like forward in terms of like better or worse, but like in a different direction. It's a lot more electronic, but like for Venus to fly, Choir Girl had to swim, you know? Can you say that again? Why? Because it was so pointed and lovely and <laughs> profound. Oh, for Venus to fly, Choir Girl had to swim. You hear that? Oh my god, put that in the rocket fuel! Put that in the rocket tank! If I had to pick one word to describe Venus, it would be fuzzy. Yeah, I get it. I hear that. Like a fuzzy peach. Mm-hmm. And fuzzy, like, your vision is a little blurry, too. Like a fuzzy peach emoji that you send to somebody? Oh my god, yes. For example. From Alternative Press, September 1999. I remember that month. I remember that month as if it were yesterday. I remember it as one of the greatest months of my life. Tori says, everything seems to be moving so fast. Tragedies seem to be moving so fast, almost before we're able to ingest one, another one happens. Information travels so fast, but I don't know if the heart adjusts that fast. I've been around the world seven times, and I'm always trying to go behind the heart, to the place where the unconscious lives. I don't think it lives in the brain. I think it's behind the heart. I can literally see Venus circling around the girl who's singing, circling around her heart, seeing different perspectives. Mm. I feel like the inspiration for this quote was Tori watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off and then played Operation. I don't get it. <laughs> Life moves pretty fast. It's Ferris Bueller. Mm. And also she was playing Operation and like moving the funny bone around and the little man and like the heart. And she was like, oh, what if the unconscious was behind the heart? And there's probably pasta back there too because I'm Tori and you know. I mean, that's true, though. I mean, 1999 was wild. Things were happening. 1999 was a really difficult time. Do you not remember? Difficult why? There was a lot going on. In the collective? Yeah. For you personally? No, in the news. I'm trying to think. What was I doing? What was happening in 1999? Oh, look, here's a sign. It might have the answer. Let's scan it. Ooh. Just as I suspected, from infoplease.com, the top news stories from 1999. Let's not forget these pivotal events. The world awaits the consequences of the Y2K bug with more drastic millennial theorists warning of Armageddon. Pakistani government is overthrown in the midst of economic strife and intensified fighting with India over Kashmir. Magnitude 7.4 earthquake kills more than 15,600 and leaves 600,000 homeless in Turkey. War erupts in Kosovo after Yugoslavia's president clamps down on the province, massacring and deporting ethnic Albanians. NATO begins Operation Allied Force on March 24, 1999, launching airstrikes against Belgrade for 78 consecutive days until Milosevic relents. Nelson Mandela, the first black president of South Africa, steps down and Mbeki takes over. And that's where we all developed the Mandela effect because mm. we thought he died. That's when we thought he died, right? Yeah, must have been. Boris Yeltsin survived impeachment. There was a lot going on. Hmm. President Clinton got impeached, remember? I sure do. Wasn't that in 1998? No, U.S. Senate opens the impeachment trial of President Clinton on January 7, 1999. Mm, okay. 
Do you recall, or what would your guess be what the number one song of 1999 was? Don't cheat. Don't look. If I had to take an educated guess, hit me baby one more time. Close. That's the song. It's true. No, that was number five. Oh, no, it's number one. Believe by Cher. Oh, I was just singing that this morning with my friend Maggie. Do you believe? That's very spacey electronica, too. Was that the first, like, real poppy use of autotune? Mm-hmm. It definitely was. Speaking of autotune, why don't you read to us from this wall of sound? Again? Again. This wall of sound is hitting me, baby. One more time. So what's the real story about how you fell into a new album? Well, we knew the live album was going to happen, and we thought the B-side record was in place. We were going to mix pretty much everything on that and cut it, like three new tracks. But the song started coming pretty furiously, and the engineer started looking at me and said, theoretically, this does not work in a B-side context. Now, they're engineers, they're out of their minds, but they do understand that realm. I began to see they had a theory, and what they were saying was valid. The B-side thing just became so hodgepodge. It became clear it was a new studio work and a live work, so we went that way. It's another compelling title, too. What's Venus got to do with it? Venus could be anybody. She could be Cindy Sherman. The strange thing is, I knew it was called to Venus and Back before we started working on it, because I had been hanging out with a couple of girlfriends. I knew I wanted to go somewhere, and back from somewhere, and after a nice bottle of wine, one of them said, You'd go to Venus, Tori, if you could. Well, once I decided I was calling this to Venus and back, it was almost as if the songs from Venus decided to say, these are fragments of Venus she's willing to show you at this time. And I felt like I climbed up on this little satellite and started roaming around her heart. Were you surprised to have another album follow so quickly after From the Choir Girl Hotel? I was. This is the fastest one we've ever done. Sometimes it just takes you longer to do something. You can't hear it or see it, so you're kind of half present. But we were very tweaked, and we were very present. And this record was demanding us to be very present. She was so seductive, none of us could sleep. None of us wanted to. It was like some Dionysian frenzy. We didn't want to stop. It was a fierce calm. You produced this album, too. Do you enjoy that aspect of recording? I think I'm getting more comfortable with it. I was really open to what all those knobs did in the studio. I opened myself up to it on Choir Girl. It's like synchronized swimming. You work with a team, and after a while it becomes improvisational, sonically. You trust that it's all going to shift to change, and that doesn't frighten you. That fascinates you. And I'm an ant fucker. Somebody who goes right in there, all the way. You can see the intestines of the ant, microscopic, every little detail. But the engineers are that way too. They're really hardcore, audio pornography obsessed. We have all the benchmarks of 1999 here. We have Ant Fucker. We have You'd Go to Venus If You Could. We have Fiercest Calm. Knobs. Knobs. Tori didn't coin the term Ant Fucker, right? That's like an expression, but she uses it a lot. I've never heard anyone else ever use it before. But ever. she says it like it's a common thing. Like, you know, I'm an fucker. It's like, excuse me? The first time I ever heard it was on Charlie Rose when she said it. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard it before since I've used it many times. In what context? Describing myself as an fucker mm-hmm. when I'm directing something. Mm-hmm. When everybody thinks I'm being nitpicky, I'm like, well, you know I'm an fucker. They look at me shocked. I work with teenagers. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but I think that someone on her crew, maybe Mark or Marcel, made up that phrase mm-hmm. and called her that and that's why it just stuck to be fair they meant a-u-n-t <laughs> that's what they call the producer when she gets too demanding they're like oh boy here comes Ann fucker <laughs> from the dallas observer on september 22nd 1999 
And I remember what I was doing on September 22nd, 1999, because we were on our way for to see Tori Amos in Vegas on the 24th. Oh man, the day of the dreaded car fire. On the day of the 24th was the show, but we were leaving on the 23rd. So on the 22nd, I remember we were like all frenzied getting ready to go. From the Dallas Observer, September 22nd, 1999. In actuality, we were sitting there putting the live record together, thinking we were going to record maybe three songs with the band. They were all booked to fly in. Maddie was coming on April 1st. In February, we were sorting through the songs like an NBA playoff. 120 shows, a ranking system of one through four, one being the worst, finding what are our strongest performances and playing them off against each other. At the time, I was writing stuff thinking I was going to pick three songs to put on the album and having the B-side sent in from all reaches of the land. And we were going to remix everything because it needed a bit of a tart-up, especially the B-sides. Some of them were done very quickly and not with the best care. As I played these new songs to my producers, what they said to me was, theoretically speaking, they will sound like a random hodgepodge of bits and pieces because sonically the new work lives in a world by itself. I just looked at them and said, no, 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 what do you guys say? And they said, this is a record unto itself, and you really can't break it up. It doesn't work geometrically. I called up Matt and said, you're not recording three. See you tomorrow. And he goes, let's go. So all the guys come in, and we made a new record. I didn't have lyrics to a second verse, and we were cutting it, and they were all there, tuned up and ready to go. I'm tearing my hair out, books on the floor. I don't know how it all happened, but it came together, and it wanted to be what it was. So there it is. Oh, my. What do you think happened to that version of the B-Sides project? Do you think that was the beginning of the reconditioning that became Librarian or the versions on a piano? Or would they have sounded like Venusy somehow? Because, you know, whatever era she's in, it kind of trickles into the music no matter what she's dealing with. So I feel like there might have been like electronica elements on some of these old B-sides. No, I don't think that would have happened. I don't know. No. What is she just going to do? Daisy Dead Pedals add like a fucking 4-4 beat? Yeah, maybe. Or like O to the Banana King with, yeah, like laser beam shots in the background like bum, ba, dum, bum, bum. Daisy Dead that is the name yeah I don't think it uh, would have had any like bearing on the b-sides maybe she might have added a little bit this seemed to be the era of all the eras where she didn't necessarily need to have her voice on top like yep. the voice could be built throughout so maybe some of them at the time might have been less bumped up in the mix than they ended up being on librarian and a piano but We'll never know, David. I don't think she actually did any B-sides. Are you sure? You don't think she started to work on it? No, because in the quote she says, they were all booked to fly in. In February, we were sorting through the shows like an NBA playoff, figuring all this stuff. At the time, I was writing stuff, thinking I was going to pick three songs and having the B-sides sent in from all reaches of the land. So while she's writing stuff, she's having the B-sides sent in, so they're on their way in. The Masters? Yeah, the Masters, I'm assuming. And then we were going to remix everything because it needed a bit of a tart up, especially the B-side. Some of them were done very quickly and not with the best care. As I played the new songs for my producers though, which I'm assuming she means Mark and Marcel, what they said to me was, this will sound like a random hodgepodge of bits and pieces because they live in a world unto themselves. And then they just started working on the new album. So I don't think they even actually started doing the B-side project. Don't you think? Because then wouldn't the Venus and Back B-sides have been B-sides instead of live songs? Mm. I don't know. Although I do like the fact that all the Venus B-sides are live songs. It makes total sense that yes. like, she's putting secret times on there. Yeah. More of that, please. I wish some of them had been live songs, too. Like, give us IIE. Like live band songs, you mean? Yes. Yes, Queen. How they left IIE off this live album. Or Horses. Or Horses 98. Mm. Oh, God, I'll never know. Oh, oh, 
Well, Nadine, we are just uh, breezing through these signs. Here's another one. Read us this from USA Today, October 1st, 1999. Okay. I didn't know which B-sides to choose. It was getting too random. It started to become neither fish nor flesh, and that's not good for a mermaid. After the plug tour, I sort of walked into a fierce calm, she says. I didn't need to be someone's daughter, wife, or mother, even though I am a daughter and a wife, and motherhood kind of just slipped through time and space for me. The record is just about being a woman and waking up every day. Most songs didn't come until the title was in place. My friend Natalie looked at me at one point and said, you know, you would go to Venus or that you've been there. If you're gonna approach the Venus realm, seduction lives there, obsession lives there, trustworthy lust lives there. Decadence lives there. Control lives there. I'd go to Venus too, based on that description. That's really interesting because then it becomes about being a woman. Doesn't it always? Yeah, because of the rhyme, of course, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So then it's about the wholeness of woman. Like if you're on Venus at the birthplace of woman, women are from Venus, then in this birthplace, is where seduction lives and obsession and trustworthy lust and decadence. Like it's the source of all womanhood. And I've never looked at the album like that before. I've always taken to Venus and back as a trip through space rather than anything having to do with like the divine feminine. But mm-hmm. maybe she's going back to the source of the feminine. And I don't know why I failed to see that in this album, though I've seen it in every other piece of work she's ever done, right? Venus to me just explained the electronic voyage. You know what I mean? Well, I think it holds both of those things, which is why, you know, it's such a great title. But of course, Tori has always dealt in archetypes and mythology. So I like this idea of this whole woman or the source of femininity, like you said, especially after all the prior albums, which were grounded in grief, I would say, or even trauma. I feel like this is the first album that wasn't coming from this place. This might be the first appearance of Sensual Woman. 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 In lust. Yes. Whole and complete. No more tumultuous relationships. She's married. So I feel like this is her first. And this is not a pejorative domestic album written entirely from this new phase of her life. Whereas, you know, Choir Girl, a lot of it was written before she got married and all that. So... I can hear that definitely in Lust. I can even hear that a little bit in Concertina. Definitely in A Thousand Oceans. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, the, it is what she said, a crossroads, you know? I guess what makes it such a great title is that it does hold that feminine, but it also holds that like space voyage sort of idea. And it's still revealing itself to me what now, 22 years later? It's a thought I've never had, but then also the album itself contains bits of Tori from before, too. You can't imagine that all these songs came completely to her after the tour. Like, she's always holding on to other pieces. Mm. You know, so there's got to be something from before. But these are the first songs she's written while she's been married. I don't know. Earth Girls are easy. Women on Venus, not so much. They're ant fuckers. From Best Magazine, October 1999. Lofty title. At the start, the idea was one CD live and one CD of rare, unreleased tracks. In the end, it's a new album that goes with the live. Artistically, this began to make sense because the live disc is a collection of songs throughout the years. These are the best performances of the last tour. There are bootlegs circulating, but they don't give a faithful image of my music. Then I wanted to add B-sides for all those who had troubles trying to find the rare tracks, but new songs came. I added them and the engineers told me these songs have a particular sound if you mix them with the B-sides. It's like mixing characters from two different movies. It's quite hazardous. Do not tell that to Jason and Freddy. (laughs) I love a good mashup versus 
Who do you think would win Venus versus Choir Girl in a knockdown drag out fight? Honestly, Choir Girl, because there are 12 separate Choir Girls. Mm, so it's just a numbers game? Yeah, they would really like pull hair, tear clothes. But I feel like Detura could just pin someone with her sheer girth. Wow, don't body shame Detura. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But that's like, you know, nine jam-packed minutes. Okay, why don't you read this sign from vh1.com. Okay, how's our tank doing? Oh, still empty. Barely a blip. Okay, this seems like time well spent then. But we must be getting closer to Silberry Hill. Okay. I mean, how big can Venus be? Let's keep going then. We put everything into the Venus record. I mean, everything. Nobody slept. We were on a high. You have to imagine, we were at Martian Engineering making the Venus record. Venus, the planet that is, was in the sky in that part of the world in spring and summer. And there are no lights where we are. It's really in the middle of the fields and there was some elixir. And it wasn't just the wine, because we never partook until we were done. There was a place where the album title came to me, inspired by a great bottle of wine with my girlfriends. My friend Natalie was the one who looked at me and said, you'd go to Venus if you could. And I said, wherever that is. Of course, we know the planet, and we're all looking galactic because of where we're going. But there's also the mythology of Venus, which is the feminine, so it just came to me. When the title was in place, the songs just seemed to storm through the door and say, sit down. It was an onslaught. A few of them came at the same time. We had lust on the boards and spring haze on the boards, and I'm trying to figure out who's living in what camp. I'm getting limbs of women, and I'm trying to figure out who goes where. This nipple doesn't belong with that woman. I was a sculptor. You get confused and drunk with it at a certain point. Was it difficult to balance all the music, the new material, in which you take such a different approach, and the live songs? No. The engineers are really theoretical. They come from that place. I come from a real emotional place. Things have to add up geometrically for the engineers. I mean, they're not just guys who play with buttons. Engineering is their life passion. A lot of things were designed, effects were designed by hand. We were playing with EQs and compression, using compression as an instrument, taking it to new levels for me. It was not just about any cheesy programs. That wasn't acceptable. If we were using a program, it had to be right for the character. The music rewards headphone listening. The engineers planned that. That is the gift from the Martian. Oh, cute. I really like this because it's blowing my mind to think of this as a feminine record. Yeah, it's just blowing my mind that I never really, even though I've read that quote before, it just never occurred to me before. Is it not safe to say that every Tori Amos album is a feminine record? No, I know, but like, and I remember her saying this because it always struck me as so strange when she said, you'd go to Venus if you could. And I said, wherever that is, because I was always like, we know where it is. It's up there. But (laughs) now I'm hearing what she's saying, which is there's a whole other Venus and it's a trip that you take unto yourself, like as a woman. Mm -hmm. go to Venus. Wherever that is, you'd have to find it for yourself. Go to Venus, which is the feminine. Oh, I'm your Venus. I'm your fire. Your, your desire. desire. Oh, it's so rare we can work in a Bananarama reference in our space travel. So rare, but when it happens, gold. Gold. <laughs> oh, what does this sign say? From Spin Magazine, November 1999. She says, the nudist, Marcel Van Limbeek, said to me, Sonically, this cannot live in the world of the B-sides. It will be separate thoughts. It's a shape. It's circular. And it's not like you take a trip. It's more like in constant orbit. And I like the idea that there's this camera that orbits around their heart and sees things she can't see yet. And then they form themselves into songs and they can work as a reflector. And then she can hear it through the image, but not necessarily as the camera sees it. 
she being the character. What's hidden behind the heart fascinates me. I'm fascinated by everything that isn't said. I think my marriage has changed me a lot. I don't really throw myself into situations like I used to. I would just go and observe as I was writing this record, and observing makes you write different things. And she really held on to that for years and years, Mm -hmm. the observational tactic. And she says it, I mean, she became a very different kind of writer. Interesting, because this record still seems so personal to me. Me too, absolutely. I definitely feel like the next album was Cover's album, but her next original album definitely feels like the first real album from that perspective. Yeah. As more of a scribe or kind of, you know, archivist storyteller as opposed to Venus, which is still very much Tori to me. And you know why I think that is? I think she's honest and saying that she's turned into an observer, but because she's married now, like the first and closest person she's observing is her husband, which mm-hmm. is still so personal. Mm. Right? She's also observing herself as a wife. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Her role has changed. And we didn't really discuss what she said in the last quote, the one you read from VH1, how this nipple doesn't belong with that woman and there are limbs of women everywhere. And I fucking love that. Have you seen the Beatles documentary? No, not yet. Okay. There's like such a window into the songwriting process in that documentary. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But that quote that you read is a window into that process too, because it's like Jackie and Hotel, how they were born and had to be like separated. To hear that Lust and Spring Haze were of the same ilk, why does it always end up like this? Could have just easily been in Lust as in Spring Haze. Mm. Oh my God. You know what I love too, looking at this quote, and they form themselves into songs and they can work as a reflector. And then she can hear it through the image. I actually think intentionally or not, the album cover captures that. Oh, interesting. Because she's looking at herself in the mirror. Oh my god. And maybe she's also observing herself as a wife, married woman for the first time in the mirror. Like, who am I now? Oh my god. Oh my god, who am I? (laughs) Who is she? That's the look of a woman who would go to Venus if she could. Wherever that is. You sly boots. I've never really thought of it like that. That perhaps makes the most sense of why the cover is like that. That she is looking at herself in the mirror and Mm -hmm. observing. Mm. Because I know that that album cover and all the shots for the album was shot by Lauren Haynes, amazing, who had worked with Tori before. He did the Bliss video as well. But that wasn't his first choice for the album cover. Yeah, do we know what was? Do you remember when we had him on our Digital Ghosts live event? I do, of course. I believe he said that his choice for the album cover was what ended up being the cover for the Glory of the 80s single, her getting out of the car. Oh, really? That was the cover? I don't remember that. Yeah, I believe that's what he said. Maybe the sign has some information. Okay. Why don't you read this from Facebook, posted by Lauren Haynes Factory on April 17, 2017. On the Tavina Sabak cover shoot, Tori pretty much kept Atlantic out of the creative process, letting she and I come up with the concept. So there was a lot of experimentation and creative juices flowing. I always loved this shot. And it is the glory of the 80s cover where she's getting out of the car. We were naked and shooting in an alley in Pittsburgh. I know you saw some of the other shots with Tori alone in the alley, but these two girls were walking by and asked if they would stop, and I asked if they would stop and do this shot, acting as Tori's bodyguards or guardian angels as Tori got out of the car. I was playing with film and solarization to create an otherworldly or this world in another time. I wanted this shot to project a world of feminine strength and power, having Tori slink out like a predatory cat or other world being, with the two girls there to protect her space. I played with printing on this and the final cover, which I will post sometime. A similar shot from this series was used in the UK as a single. 
It was a great experience working with Tori alone on the concept and shooting in post. Even though Atlantic blamed me for keeping them out of the creative process, it was Tori's idea, and I'm grateful to her, even though Atlantic never hired me again. It was worth it. I mean, it's such an interesting photo. It's these two women, of course, we'll post it on our show notes page, songsofframus.com. It's these two girls holding, like, space around the door while Tori does literally slink out like a cat. Mm -hmm. But it's so processed that it feels like she's coming out of another world, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just feel like a car. He did a really good job that. Mm -hmm. But I, I knew that was his favorite picture of the shoot, so I assume that's what he wanted for the cover yeah, of the album. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yes, you're sure I'm what? I, I, I hear you, Nadine. Right. Rain, Oh, should we take a break? Sure, what should we do with it? Well, there's a crater here. We could just take a little nap. No, she breaks. I don't know. I just feel like we've been going for a long time. Well, everything's slow in space. Did you know that one day on Venus is a hundred and something days on Earth? 117. I told you that. 17. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. That's where I, I knew I'd heard that somewhere. 117 days on Earth is one day on Venus. We definitely deserve a break then. We're much younger in Venus than we are on Earth. Oh my God, and weightless. Well, I say we go back to the Jupiter too. Oh, I, I think we should talk like we, oh, oh, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> Nadine, I say we should go back to the Jupiter too because frankly, I forgot to mention, I forgot the gas can. We should, and when you scan me like this. We'll be right back, I think. Still orbiting. Sounds good. I'm a musician and a woman. I don't know which one comes first. This is Bliss. A single off Tori Amos's new album to Venus and Back. Originally, the CD was supposed to have just a few new tracks and old B-sides, but it evolved into more. There was a essence, I can't explain it. It's the sweetest drug, music, when it comes and she visits you. Tori's inspiration turned the project into a double album featuring 11 new self-produced songs along with live renditions from tours. Finding out Tori's inspirations wasn't so easy. I would tell you who I've slept with before I tell you who my musical influences are because I find that very personal. And what about Tori's personal happiness? You know when people smile too much, it's painful. I find it really painful. Happy is not very reliable. I'm trying to live like I'm um, with a fierce calm. Two, three, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, one, two, one, two. One two three one two one two one two one two three four one two one two one two one two. Am I gonna get this uh, on the PA when I'm doing my my opening thing? Are these? Yes, you are. It'd be nice to hear the level that that PA is at just before we go up, so I'm not completely blown away. There we go. What's up?
Welcome. It's going to be a real special evening. As I said, we're calling it live and unrehearsed, and it is just that. Tori's in the midst of rehearsals for um, uh, what has got to be, as far as I'm concerned, one of the more exciting pairings in a long time. As you're probably aware, Tori and Alanis Morissette will be hitting the road in just a couple of days' time. And as I'm sure you're aware, she's also got a new record out. It's called To Venus and Back, and uh, it's part live album. Part brand new material, which I heard over the weekend. It is an awesome record. Let me tell you, you're going to hear at least one of those tunes tonight. And we're also going to be talking to her as well. We're going to be talking about the album, about the tour, and about other things. I know these people here in the audience have some questions. You guys online, joining us online, have some questions as well, and I do too. But before we get to any of that, let's get to some music, okay? Please welcome the one and only Tori Amos. Nadine, did you hear that interesting and exotic space music? It was wonderful. And it was. Well, I'm rested up. Nadine, how was your break? Are you broken? You look broken. Thank you, I feel <laughs> broken. Oh, Nadine. Nadine Efrain. I guess let's just keep going to try to find Silbury Hill to get the fuel for the tank, as is our mission. It seems that we've stumbled upon a monument of some kind with names and dates etched into it. Mm. Why don't you read from this uh, monolith? This NFT? Yeah, why don't you read from this NFT? Okay, all right, let me get my specs on here. My eyesight isn't so good in space. It says here, mm, Precious Things, December 3rd, 1998, East Lansing, Michigan. Cruel, December 3rd, 1998, East Lansing, Michigan, question mark. What do you make of this, this artifact? It's a relic of a time, mm. 1998? Mm -hmm. Last year. Last Seems year. Seems so long ago. <laughs> sure does. Apparently, it seems that someone on Venus performed songs, and these are the speculated dates of said songs. Hmm. I feel like I was at a lot of these shows. Were you? I remember a lot of these dates. Most of these songs from To Venus and Back Still Orbiting have been discovered, have been figured out, but there's a handful, like Cornflake Girl, Space Dog, Purple People, that we don't know where they're from. And then a few question marks, like Cruel, Girl, things like that. But I can tell you a little bit of tea that I have from our interview with Steve Caton. Yes, please do. Is that even though they were all live tracks recorded live, when they went in to record for the To Venus and Back sessions, which was originally going to be the B-side material, remember? Yep that they did clean up some of the live songs. Mm -hmm. Like they added some stuff here and there. So it, that might be why it's hard to recognize. Like it sounds almost like, but there's something different, you know? You know what I wish they had added? Candy. Oh, well, I always want candy, but I wish you're close. I wish they had added the woman from the Hey Jupiter EP version of Sugar. 
to this version of sugar in the background. Really? So when it started, she screamed, sugar! You don't think that was played out? Every No, I don't. I wish every live performance of Sugar started that way. That, that was just part of it. That woman screeching Sugar. It would be even better on To Venus and Back because it's from a sound check, so there wouldn't be other audience noise. It would just be a single woman screaming, which is how some people describe a Tory show. But... love to have a fireside chat with Mark Hawley who engineered that EP to sit down and discover that they added that in. (laughs) You think it was him? That it wasn't native, yeah. (laughs) That they just added it in to be Uh fun. Me too. (laughs) Sugar! It's like like the neighbor. It's like Karen Bins. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, they did pickups. They're like, we just, we really want a woman screaming sugar here. Yeah, they got a field recording. Yeah. It'll really enhance it. Mm. They weren't wrong about that. The detective work has even gone so far into the B-sides. The Bliss B-sides, Hey Jupiter and Upside Down, were from Binghamton, New York, November 10th, 1998. Winter and Baker Baker from A Thousand Oceans. Baker Baker was from State College, Pennsylvania, November 21st. And Winter was from Columbus, Ohio, November 29th. That surprised me that they weren't from the same show. Mm-hmm. They stitched those together. And then from Glory of the 80s single, Famous Blue Renko and Twinkle were from Santa Barbara on September 20th, 1998. And I liked your suggestion that you said, like, why didn't they put horses or IIE on the singles? Like, why did they have to all be secret times? Yeah. Not that the secret times were bad. I love the secret times, but also... I'm going to offer a guess as to why this was the case. Why? Because we knew they were tweaking and, you know, Caden shared that they were doing a little extra pickup recording because they, you know, ultimately ended up recording an entirely new album and filling in whatever gaps they needed. They probably had to prioritize the songs that were for sure going to be on the album. And then when it came time for B-sides, they were like, well, we can do the solo stuff on our own without needing any of the guys to re-record anything. Or they could have just not re-recorded anything and preserved the sanctity and honesty of the moment. Well, that is correct, but we know she's a perfectionist and she never would have let that fly. So she's not a perfectionist. She's an ant bucker. I don't like that phrase. Why? Just picture it, and it's it's far too graphic. <laughs> I think ants need love, too. Without ant fucking, there would be no nieces and nephews. Naughty ants need love. Boom, 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 boom. Yes, you're right. There would be no nieces and nephews. That's where they come from. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where we get our nieces and nephews from yes. ant fucking. God, we learned so much on this show. Remember Tori's elaborate ranking system for choosing the live tracks, meaning like the performances were ranked from like one to four? I do remember. Do you think she really did that? Because looking at what she actually pulled from, everything is from like the last three weeks of the tour, pretty much. So do we really think she went through all the shows or she just went to the end? And she was like, eh, we were probably at our best there towards the end, so. I feel like two things. One, when she talks about having 110 or 140, I don't remember what she said, but 110 or 140, different bootlegs around her or different recordings around her and they were like doing that ranking system like just the thought of it just makes me like I want them all Mm -hmm. and I do think they have them all I do believe they recorded them all at that point because why wouldn't you but they've been taped over. No, no, no. I mean, it's so easy to record from a soundboard. You literally just plug in a disc or now a flash drive and just record onto the disc. So, of course, why wouldn't they have them? But I think maybe she would come off stage and just be like, nope, not a good one, you know? Delete? Not delete, but like 
they just never revisited it. Like, I believe there were shows maybe they never revisited because she had a bad memory of the show or something, you know, like, or she remembered it as not being a good show or whatever, for whatever mm. reason. Because, yeah, they're all from the, like, end. The earliest thing that we have on record that we can pinpoint is September 20th from Santa Barbara on the single. Right. And that's a B-side solo song. So nothing from the proper album. And they've been touring since April. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, of course, the songs get better, or to her, the songs get better as they go, you know? They <laughs> to her. Into, like, when they're confident playing them and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. There were so many great... I would I would love a crack at TVAB2. What would we call it? Still, still orbiting. Still, still orbiting? <laughs> Let me check. Yep, still orbiting. That's what we should call it. Never stopped orbiting. <laughs> Bodies in motion. Yeah, I think that for the 25-year anniversary... And Tori Amos, if you're listening, and I know that you are, <laughs> you can just take this idea and run with it. For the 25th anniversary of Venus, A, it should get pressed to vinyl, without a question. B, you should do Continuing to Orbit or Never Stopped Orbiting, which is a whole other disc of additional songs from that era. Or we just call it Sure She's Still Out There Orbiting Around. So many possibilities. Absolutely. The name bothers me none. Steal the concept. Oh, oh, we're moving again. I thought we were there for a while. Why don't you read this quote from Billboard, July 17th, 1999. She will have the opportunity to present much of the new material during the upcoming tour with Morissette, which Amos finds an appropriate pairing, but for reasons that have little to do with musical matchmaking. I've never done a tour like this before with somebody, Amos says. It was actually Morissette's idea. She had come to see me at Jones Beach in Long Island, New York, and we had a cup of tea and a giggle and got along really well. We share a lot of the same philosophies of putting on a show, which is important. I'm talking about the semantics of it, not just the music. Having all these people on the road together is like a little town on the road, where you're all part of the same tribe. People do it differently, and it's difficult to pull it off with someone who doesn't hold the same priorities. I do think we're going to draw people that want an exciting evening. And they did. They sure did. I always want an exciting evening, and I was drawn to it. I prefer my exciting evenings to be presented by mp3.com. Mm-hmm. Speaking of touring, this is from SonicNet, MTV.com's online chat with Tori and Alanis on 17th of August, 1999. Do you want to be the moderator, Alanis, or Tori? Moderator. Oh, okay, great. I have to embody both women. Mm-hmm. You're going to marry those Marys. The final question of the evening from you folks out there, what do you hope to gain from this tour? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. What's your game? Is this but a money-making venture? What do you hope to gain? Why are you doing this? What do you hope to gain from this tour? Who are you trying to prove yourself to? What are you trying to prove? (laughs) What do you want? What do you want from me? (laughs) What do you hope to get from each other? What do you expect to take with you at the end? My God. Okay, Alanis says, I don't expect to take anything. I don't expect anything from this, really. I already know that I will be enjoying it immensely and that I will be touched every night because when Tori performs, I am so touched and I don't even need to have that. I already know that I'm going to have it and I expect nothing from you. Oh, I love her. 
I do. What's the song? Um, you Owe Me Nothing in Return. She's writing those lyrics to Tori. That song is to Tori. She's writing them here in the moment, in the middle of this conversation. Oh, man. I feel like this is kind of an instruction manual for dating, too. At least the way I do it. I know that I will be touched, and I expect <laughs> nothing. And I don't even need you to I do it. I don't even need it. Tori says, for me, I think to be able to be a part of something where there's passion and deliciousness and booty and sensuality, and that to me is so much more exciting than a place where there's violence and punching people and there is a, I don't know, an orgasm when it's about passion and not about any kind of abuse crap. So I'm really looking forward to that sensual thing. That will be five and a half weeks of deliciousness. Well, yeah. And then Alana says, etc, etc. (laughs) Dear Marcus. And more. Etc. That's great. This has been wonderful. Thank you both so very much. You're welcome. <laughs> what a great, what wonderful insight. Yeah. What wonderful insight you provide, Nadine, and myself as well. There could not be a more Tory answer. Deliciousness and booty. 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 Sensuality. Sensuality. Deliciousness. I don't want to be anywhere where I'm going to get punched. Yeah. <laughs> Who does? What's she calling out there? Woodstock 2? Oh, maybe. Actually, honestly, yeah. 1999, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finger on nose. You did it. You got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From the Baltimore Sun, on August 26th, 1999, Magic seems to play a part in her tour with Morissette, which has, so far, found the two singers complementing each other perfectly. Even though they're two separate shows, they're a whole, says Amos. Our sets are extremely different, our approaches are very different, but there's a real commitment from everybody, the musicians and the crews, to just create a bit of magic. I love it. It is hard to tour. First of all, it's hard to, t- I mean, take it from someone who's toured. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's way harder on us than it is on her. It's hard to tour. I cannot imagine touring with a whole other crew that then immediately needs to set up after you at the booth. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I'm sure they've got it all worked out. I'm sure maybe all of them were set up from the beginning. I don't know. It's just, it's, I can't imagine the logistics and the planning. Mm. But to be fair, it's oh. easier when you have a masseuse and a truck full of wine. That's true. And a chef. They each had chefs. Chefs. <laughs> is chef is the plural of chef chefs. Mm-hmm. Cheves. If hoof is hooves, then chef should be chefs. Mm. You're right. You're right. What the? What the? Nadine. Nadine. Who is that? Hi. It's another Venusian. I'm not sure what you said. Hold on. Nadine. She said, we will not be finding Silbury Hill today. Are you serious? Walk through that door. I don't see a door. <gasps> There's a door. It's in the middle of nowhere. It just popped up. Walk through that door and you will come upon a series of 11 rooms. We must make our way through all 11 rooms in order to find Silbury Hill. Oh man. So this is the solar field you must be talking about. Once we travel through all 11 rooms, we will find the fueling station located at the peak of Silbury Hill. Ugh, I hate hiking. Guess we live here now. Does that mean we have to do this 11 more times? Mm, Man, all right. I mean, what else are we doing, really? I mean, I guess settle in for the night, Nadine. (laughs) It's gonna be a long one. Come in for a snuggle. Fire up your lava lamp. Look at those stars. Oh, they're beautiful. Mm. I can see it when it twinkles. Oh, Nadine, it's that beautiful space music. 
you serious? All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com. Are you serious?